right. Well, welcome everybody. Say, so I look forward to uh, this uh, Train Smart episode. We actually have Corey Van Wyk on with us. We're going to be talking about agility. So the big thing that we're going to be discussing today is agility when it has to do with like uh, sports performance. You know, so when we're we're discussing these different things, you know, we kind of have some set set questions and things that we're going to obviously discuss. But, you know, if you guys ever have questions with us in the future, always feel free to reach out to us, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever works for you, email, phone call, text. I mean, we're always open to do a lot of different things and different way of communication. But yeah, I mean, we, we had the opportunity, me and Corey, to meet about probably, man, five, six months ago, face to face at a uh, NSEA state clinic in Missouri. Um, we had the pleasure of speaking at the, that conference um, with the host being Victor Kaiser, the, the state director for NSEA. But moving forward, I'll have Corey kind of take over, you know, explain who he is, his background, currently what he's doing in the profession and all that. Absolutely. Thanks, Dane. Hey, th thanks for uh, asking me to be on. It was, it was great to meet you at the, at the conference. So uh, I'm happy to be on and, and talking agility today. So. Yeah, um, so my current role is I'm a professor of practice and strength conditioning coach at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Nice. Um, it's a pretty, pretty unique role. Some of you might, or some listeners might be saying like, what the heck is a professor of practice? It's not a very, <laughs> it's not a very common role. Um, and I guess all that really means is uh, my, so it's for the kinesiology department and Traditional academics, you have three prongs to your to your job. You have teaching, you have service to the college, which, which would be like serving on committees, uh, and then you have uh, research. Well, my third prong instead of research is practice. So I actually literally have to be practicing in some way that supports my teaching. And luckily for me, that's my strength and conditioning. So I'm also the strength coach for um, six of our athletic teams. So I do football, wrestling. Uh, the soccer teams cheer and dance. Nice. So yeah, it keeps me busy. So it usually culminates into four classes a semester and then the six teams and then also some committee work and things like that. So that's where I'm at now. I'm actually about ready to start my sixth year, which is wow. kind of crazy. Yeah, it's very crazy. But, um, you know, I guess going way back to what got, what me got, in, you know, got me interested in strength and conditioning was Rocky Four, man. Like, okay. <laughs> A lot of strength coaches, if you grew up in like late 80s, 90s, Rocky IV was like the entryway. So you saw, see the training montage and you're like, yep, I want to lift weights. That's what I'm <laughs> um, so high school really started training like for sport. That was my initial interest. Um, we had a kid that ran, you know, this is small Iowa high school, a 48, 400. He also happened to be the only kid in our school that lifted weights. Okay. Maybe I should do that, you know. So I started lifting weights for track. Eventually, you know, help. We got football, so helped with football, and I just fell in love with it. So nice. uh, went on to college. I went to Central College in Pella, Iowa, which is a small, small uh, D three school, and uh, I was really lucky to go there because the unique thing about Central was, a unique thing about Central was, they were one of the only D three schools at the time to have a full time strength conditioning coach. Okay. And when I went on my visit, he was like, if you come here, you'll work in the weight room with me and help me out. And that's all I needed to hear. So from 
I think my second semester's freshman year, I was just thrust into the weight room, like day one, you know, sign off on cards, teaching the hang clean, all this stuff. And it was great, just totally immersed in it. And then by the end, we had a, a full, full blown major in strength and conditioning. Wow. By the time I got through college, I had a solid three years of, you know, pretty accelerated path onto coaching. And then by my senior year, I had my own team. And so it was, it was a really good experience. And uh, I'm very, very thankful for my time there because it, it was, it really accelerated my path, so to speak. Um, so from Central, I actually shifted gears for my master's degree and I did nutrition. And I did that at the uh, University of Nebraska Lincoln um, because I just, through, through all the things you study in strength and conditioning, I really gravitated to nutrition. Okay. And so I emailed uh, the, the dietitians at, at Nebraska, like, Hey, do you have internship openings or internship spots? Wasn't posted or anything. I just emailed them and they said, Hey, yeah, uh, they were glad to have a grad student on, on staff there. So, uh, I was a, an intern on the a sports nutrition staff at Nebraska, also a teaching assistant in their nutrition department. So that's kind of where I got my feet wet teaching. Yep. Uh, but that really immersed me in nutrition. So I was, wasn't only the student, I was also teaching it to undergrads, which is a really good experience. Um, after that, I actually became a research assistant at Iowa State University, uh, also in nutrition. And that was where like full on lab coat, you know, pipetting <laughs> minuscule amounts of fluid and, and that has like probably urine in it or livers. <laughs> so, um, so I did some nutrition research and you know, I'm thankful for that time, but it definitely showed me what I didn't want to do. Yep. Like, I wasn't yep. meant to be in a lab. It gave me some decent lab experience, so at least I understand that world better. But, you know, days on, you know, days in a lab, you don't, you see more rats than people sometimes. I mean, uh, it, it really wasn't for me. So, ended up leaving that. I was a personal trainer for about six months in okay. between, and then I started at Northwestern. That's awesome, man. You, you, you have a lot of like experience, which is great. I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the biggest things within the field is, is having that experience and, and moving forward. Oh, now, yeah. when you said you've been there for almost six years or yeah, over starting my sixth year. That's crazy. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. Thank, thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, I know that you said like a, a big focus of what you, you like kind of like um, studied was a lot of nutrition. What's like the biggest thing that you like to study with the nutrition? Oh man. I mean, back in the day, it was like anything that would get me more muscle mass. Okay. You know, it was just like hypertrophy um, was really big into like amino acid metabolism and stuff like that. I mean, that was a big thing though. Also when I was in grad school was we were finding out more about leucine and its role in muscle tissue and protein synthesis. Um, it was also kind of the time where a lot of like the cholesterol, um, the things that we had believed about cholesterol starting to get challenged as far as like its impact on, well, we've known about its impact on, on blood cholesterol for a long time. Yeah. It's kind of where the shift happened from anti-fat to a little bit more anti-carbohydrates, keto. <laughs> but it was a little experience of mine and I've tried every diet like I've tried it all yeah fasting keto paleo well not but not vegetarianism I haven't tried that but but like 
that's what it was. You know, I was, I was definitely into um, hypertrophy, muscle mass, and then anything related to that. Now, my, my graduate my, or my research work at Iowa State was methyl group metabolism. Okay. Which was really different. I did not, you know, it was good because there were some nice caveats there because it got into um, epigenetic, epigenetic control of things. Uh, and my specific project was egg consumption and type 2 diabetes, okay. the vitamin D connection. Um, and it, there's a lot of things going on with methylation. But personally, it was just, yeah, sports nutrition and, you know, more of the like, muscle hypertrophy aspect of nutrition. What can you do to leverage and gain more muscle? So. Absolutely. Nutrition's so important. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people overlook that. I mean... There's so much stuff now, like you kind of mentioned the keto diet, you know, one of those things, it's kind of like a popular fad right now. Everyone's kind of looking for that, that quick fix. But you know, when we talk about nutrition, I mean, the big thing is obviously being able to control it and, and, you know, and building those different types of habits. But I mean, nutrition's there and it's, it's one of those things that if you have a really good grasp on it, it's a, it's a good concept to obviously understand. But yeah, and I, and I was so drawn to it because it was something no one else was doing. Like as an athlete, you know, I started lifting weights because no one else was doing it and I thought it would give me an edge. And then I got to a place where everyone was lifting weights in college. Well, no, like very few people were paying attention to their nutrition. So it was just this thing that, oh, okay, no one else is doing this. So I, I should do it if I want my edge. Yep. I, that's just how I saw it. And it just, that led to the research. You know, I found out anytime I was on, on the internet, reading stuff i always wanted to read the nutrition thing because this is the thing that i could tap into that other people weren't yeah. so yeah absolutely man you're like uh you're like alex my uh, my business partner and fiance she she likes the nutrition stuff so i i totally understand <laughs> mine's recovery and then she oh, kind of yeah. always just goes towards that nutrition yes but absolutely. the big thing obviously we're going to talk about today is you know agility um you know, so the first kind of question that I have is, you know, when it relates to sports, I mean, you could just be training in general, you know, why is agility training so important or just such a, a critical movement to, to implement within training programs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely agility. It's definitely like my current, like biggest research area right now. Um, you know, here's the kind of the thing about agility is if you, it's a skill like anything else you know if you want to if you want to get better at squatting you, ha you have to do it and practice it there's a skill component to squatting there's a skill component to the things we do in the weight room linear speed you can you can learn some skill aspects of linear speed that will make you faster and agility is a skill just like those aspects that should belong in an athlete's training program and if we think about agility like People talk about agility in, a, in like a lay person way all the time. If you just watch football, if you watch sport, the announcers will always reference it and they kind of don't know they're talking about agility, but they are. Like anytime you hear an announcer talk about, oh, this guy's super quick or fast feed or all these like kind of ambiguous things, you're really talking about someone who's really agile. And the unique thing about agility is it's a combo of your ability to make good decisions and then have the physical capacity to carry out those decisions absolutely like it's it's the two together and like if you have someone who can do that in sport 
man, you've got a, you've got a gold mine there yeah. because it's so that it, we, it's this perceptual motor ability and skill, but it is a skill. Like you still have to train it if you want to get better at it. Absolutely. Um, and so that's, I guess I, in, in my, in my mind, if that's not included in an athlete's training program and, and, and how, how much you focus on it depends on the sport, right? Yeah. I mean, some sports are going to be way more chaotic and require that perceptual motor uh, ability more, more than others. Yeah. Uh, and then where we fit as, as strength conditioning coaches, physical prep coaches or whatever, um, will somewhat impact that as well. But I guess that, you know, that's where I would see the importance of training agility uh, in an athlete's program. Absolutely, man. I mean, you, I love the fact that you talked about motor control. I mean, I think that's one of the, the most understated kind of like aspects or just variables when it comes into agility or change of direction, multi-directional speed, whatever you want to call it. It's the, the process of like visually processing something, like being able to perceive something, looking at it, and then all of a sudden knowing that you have to make that dis distinct dis uh, decision in order to basically react and make your feet, your hands, whatever, your extremities in some way, shape, or form move. Right. Um, and that's, that's so critical. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy you said that when you were talking <laughs> about that. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm like, actually, that's so true. It's just the motor control aspect. It's like, it kind of leads into that next question where it's, you know, some situations are known. Like, you know that you're going to go right. You know that you're going to go left. But then there's some situations that aren't necessarily going to be known in the pattern of that sport. Um, yeah. Just overall in a gaming event, it's, you know, a competition. You yeah. don't know which way that that soccer player is going to go left. They don't know if they're going to go right. So you have to make those reactions. And Absolutely. I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit. You know, what are your, how are different ways or just view, what are your views, I should say, on reactive agility and non-reactive agility? Right. Um, so I guess overall broadly to start with this, before I kind of get to my specific views most people's views on this kind of stem from two different things or two different areas so number one would be just your under someone's understanding or thoughts on the differences between um change of direction and agility and what i mean by change of direction i'm talking about activities that do not have a decision making or perceptual element to them there there's nothing to perceive and then make a decision and, and act uh, now all agility contains within it changes of direction me, meaning the literal changing of direction but agility by definition and you can look this up in the in the research in the literature has to have a unknown component like you mentioned okay. where they don't know what like the next thing is going to uh, you know they don't know what's going uh, know what's going to happen next yeah. and therefore don't know what they're going to have to do. Yep. That's like has to if it doesn't contain that element to it, it's not agility. And a lot of times, what people think is training for agility or they they term agility training is really change of direction speed activities. Okay. So change of direction speed would be. Uh, 5105, Illinois Agility, any any cone drill uh, where the patterns are, you, you know the patterns, you know when you're gonna have to change direction. Um, and again, there's no decision to be made. Yep. 
And then as soon as you add a decision to be made or you, you, you uh, have any kind of uncertainty, now, you're, now you have an agility aspect to it. Okay. That's kind of where uh, things will start. And then there's also the aspect of how do you view the acquisition of motor skill. Yep. Um, and those are like the two like big branches. And I guess where I started down the path was really diving into the differences between change of direction and agility. Okay. Like, first of all, like for like the first few years of my career, I didn't really know there was a difference. I just had my menu of on multi-directional days. This is, okay, we're going to do X drill. Okay. Then L drill. And then star drill, <laughs> any shape drill that, that you want. Um, and I just didn't know there was the difference. And like when, once you dive into the research, it's pretty, pretty clear that there is. Um, and so as I dove into those differences, what I started to uncover is that they're not, they're, they're typically not very related. Okay. Like, this having the skill for change of direction speed and having the skill under an agility scenario, they're not very well correlated. And the, I mean, there definitely needs to be more um, empirical research done in this area, but we all know like the guy that can look like a, just, just a phenom on the L drill or the pro agility or the whatever cone drill and then anything that has any kind of decision-making, they're just like lost. Yep. Like every coach has that person in their mind. And like, I was that guy where, um, yeah, I would, I would just, you know, strength coaches, especially if you're really like aware of what you're doing, you really care about the angles you're hitting yep. in like a pro agility, you're gonna, you can beat a lot of people who just don't pay attention to that stuff. But as soon as I got into a more open, chaotic decision-making environment it was just always like man why can't I take what I did in these previous cone drills and then do it in these more reactive drills yeah you see it with athletes too you see it all the time or you see the opposite you see the, the guy that maybe in an agility task he just meant he finds a way to get things done he he's just really has a feel for things but then he always looks sloppy on something that's predetermined or pre-planned. Yep. So not only from a coaching standpoint with my eye and, and people who, who, who have a lot of people have talked about this, just, you know, coaches and in conversation and, and other people. Uh, but the research shows it too, like across multiple sports, those guys who did or athletes who did really well on change of direction, speed activities, did not mean they did well on, uh, you know, agility, uh, measures of agility, where there actually was a decision to be made and vice versa. Yep. Sometimes the people who are really good at agility did worse than on change of direction than, than, than the people who did really well. So like, yeah. it just does, they don't seem to be the same skill. Okay. Absolutely. So um, now people are probably thinking, okay, so what am I supposed to do then? Like if, if you're telling me that my running my pro agility isn't necessarily going to transfer and might not be telling me that this person is agile, like, what do I do? And I guess where I started going down the path of was, okay, that means when I'm teaching 
agility or when we're training it, you know, I just made the decision of, okay, if I'm training the skill of reacting to either other people, or I'm training the skill of picking up like the, or uh, using the perceptual side, then that's how we have to train. Yep. So now the question always becomes like how well, like if, if you teach someone to do things really well in a, like a more of a closed scenario or change of direction speed scenario, is that kind of worthless or will that not transfer? Um, that's a really good question. Like I said, we need more, but it doesn't seem, there's not very, it's not very well supported. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? It's not well supported. So, um, you know, you have to find out where your athlete is at sometimes. And the argument has kind of always been, you need to teach movement. You need to teach them how to move their body. And what I've found is what most people are talking about when they say that is their center of mass and base of support relationship. So basically hips and then the width of their feet, how the athlete can negotiate that relationship and best move from whatever position they find themselves in. Um, but again, if putting, you know, without going too deep on it, putting someone in an agility scenario will change joint kinematics yep. because you can't plan. You cannot, since you can't plan for your movements, your base of support position is going to change. Your center of mass position is going to change. And athletes need to be allowed to uh, coordinate their movements under the conditions in which they're going to have to be performed. Yep. And that goes all the way back to kind of at the beginning where I was like, where I said, you know, it's a trainable skill. You, if you want to get better at it, you have to train it. And I guess I always ask myself, what do I want my athletes to be good at? Like, what do I want them to be good at at the end of the day? And that's going to drive our training. Yep. Um, so I don't know, is that, I guess I'll stop there. And if you have any follow-up questions or, or um, does that make sense? No, it does. I mean, yeah. you nailed the dot on it just because, I mean, when it comes into like overall like strength and conditioning performance and all that, I mean, assessing is critical. I mean, we have mm -hmm. to know, like, and I love the fact that you talked about, like, someone's going to be good at the non-reactive and someone's going to get every reactive. Someone's going to be really good at, like, the other one, and then they're not going to be bad at the other, like, really good at the other one. So it's, it just really goes down into, like, assessing those, and there's so many different ways. Like, you can utilize a stopwatch. You can utilize technology. Of course, technology comes with a hefty price. You know, right. that's the kind of yeah. the, the downside of it. So some coaches are, are very, very fortunate and they have those budgets that are going to to make them a little bit more reliable when it comes to that data collection for each one of their assessment protocols but I actually kind of had a follow-up about like you know I so said there's limited data on like the transferability to like movement of such ways and you talked about like you know the center of mass you know the individual and I love the fact that you talked about this because not everyone's always going to be in a neutral position at all times when they're making a, a change of direction or doing or what you were talking about, like agility, like when they're making that decision component to it, they're not always going to be here in a linear, their leg might be all the way out here. So now what do they have to do to basically make that change of direction or just that move? Yeah. How, how can we like, as a, a coach, you know, assess these things? Like what are your ways of like assessing like a non-reactive versus a reactive? Like do you have any like kind of tips for anyone? Well, I mean, 
I mean, there's tons of things we can do for change of direction speed. I mean, th th that's just kind of so classical. And I know there's been some, there's been some challenges to those things, uh, particularly because ultimately they, they either end up becoming mostly linear speed uh, based, like a 5.10.5, you spend actually a lot of time just running straight ahead. Um, and Illinois agility is a really long one. So like sometimes aerobic capacity comes into that. Um, so we have plenty of things for change of direction speed. We don't have much for agility. Yeah. Like the reactive agility test is the only one that I'm really mostly familiar with. And that's basically a, a 45 degree like Y cut type test. And the issue with agility is it's honestly, it's kind of like nutrition. Yeah. Right. I can see that. We know that in nutrition, if you try to isolate nutrients, if you try to like, hey, like vitamin C, we know that these high vitamin C foods are good for us. But if we extract vitamin C out and think and try to reduce it down and redu be reductionist about maybe it's about the vitamin C in oranges or the vitamin C in whatever, that's good. And then we try to just look at vitamin C. We, it may not act the same way because it's not surrounded by all of its other nutrients yep. and in the context of the food. Yep. Agility is much the same way. When you take it out of the context in which the movements are being executed, you may not be looking at the same thing. Yep. Like this is where I always kind of go back to the, the why for the movement matters. Like you need to have a why for like, I mean, I mean, W-H-Y, not like the Y reaction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get that. Um, you need to have the Y for executing a movement before you can assess that movement. Yeah. Um, and you hit on a really good point of being in like maybe it, like positions that might not be considered optimal. Yeah. And that's where like sometimes the benefit of, of training like true agility, meaning again, there's a, a decision to be made. Um, sometimes athletes aren't in good positions and sometimes being quick on the field is about how you deal with those crappy positions. Yep. And so going back to the testing of agility, um, because the perceptual aspect and the cognitive perceptual aspect of agility is so critical, I mean, think about all the movement possibilities in a sport like soccer or in a sport like football. Um, if, if my agility test is only a 45 degree-ish cut, like that's leaving out a ton of different other movement options as well as scenarios in which they're gonna be executed under. Yep. Like in, in like a reactive agility, either you're watching like a video screen or if coaches don't have the video, like in, in, in a lab setting, you, you probably use the video. But sometimes it's just a coach like pointing or a coach leaning, and then you're getting into, okay, how is the athlete approaching that coach? When is, is, the, is the coach's lean gonna be timed or the point gonna be timed the exact same every, every time? All these other things. So it's a, it's a very, like I do not envy researchers. I'll say that I do not envy researchers because it's a very complex. I mean, you try to be reductionist and I want to be very clear. I'm not like 
trying to bash on the research by any means. No, absolutely. It needs to happen. Like, and like I said, uh, with nutrition, this happens all the time in nutrition. We try to be reductionist about things and it just doesn't work that way. But I know in research that it has to be that way. Like yeah. research can't get done if, if there's not some of those reductionist aspects. I totally understand that. But where that leaves us from a coaching and training standpoint is we don't have a great way to assess it. Yeah, I mean, it leaves blanks. I mean, there's so many different things that you're like, oh, I wish I would have could have done this, which kind of leads you into like next, next like research projects. But of course, like IRB and all that's going to be a big judgment on a lot of things, you know, whatever they approve. And go ahead, sorry. No, I was just gonna say totally. So like, I'm not trying to say that um, those who are doing the research, like I definitely understand the issues that go in with academic research and like well so that's where the iowa state experience gave me a lot of just gave me a lot of empathy for those situations because yeah you go through the irb process you go through kind of the the mess of research you're like wow this is not as clean cut and dried as the paper makes it seem sometimes like these papers that you read but it needs to happen like otherwise you know we're not we're not we need to continually research and look into these questions but um i know some people use the reactive agility tests uh you know i i personally don't and there's a lot of factors for that and my, my main factor is logistics you know i i'm in you know you heard my teams and i do have student help yeah. which is fantastic so you know I've, we have my students that help run things but at the end of the day man it's a lot of times my assessment is conversations with coaches and athletes yep seriously like i'll sit down postseason with my athletes, with some of my athletes and, and the head sport coaches. And, you know, they're watching all, the, they're watching film all the time. We talk about, or I'll ask them about how they felt about the movement capabilities of the athletes. Like, was there anything you felt like we couldn't do? Like, do we get into situations where like, man, we just are not good at this, like yep. these specific situations. And then I get the athletes perspective as well. Absolutely. Um, and that also has to somewhat be taken with a grain of salt because going back to like the two divergent maybe ways people look at agility and change of direction. The other one we haven't really discussed yet was how you view the acquisition of motor skill and um, change of direction, speed stuff that you can get really good at really quickly. Like people like that, like athletes and coaches really like it because you get good at it really quickly. Yeah. But, and this is what we know about like just learning in general like quick improvements don't know don't always lead to transfer and they don't lead to retention so like i actually kind of want that messiness a little bit in my agility sessions i actually kind of want athletes screwing up a little bit and fumbling a little bit uh, because i know that they're going to be learning from those like those those situations and and they adjust you know i love the analogy of riding or riding a bike like most of us or, or, or um, rollerblades or something like that. He had to fall off a few times to figure out what the heck you're doing. It hurt. <laughs> and, and I understand there's a balance here. There's a balance between being safe, but at the end of the day, like they're gonna get thrown in the, the, the heat and fire of competition um, and be smart with what you're doing, but I don't mind having my athletes really feel their way through things. And, and putting them in scenarios, you know, that, you know, under, you know, things that make sense, but 
I want that. I want to see that in agility. I want to see that when we're working on, you know, multi-directional speed and things like that. Absolutely. Cause I, I love the fact that when you talked about that, you really talked about like the fact of, you know, they're not always going to be in that optimal position. That was kind of like my biggest yeah. takeaway like yeah. earlier was optimal positions. Like if they're not in that optimal position, you know, think about sport, sport, like their competition, their event is kind of truly their, their prime way of actually learning more is because of the fact yeah. that now they really are putting in the gauntlet and they're like, all right, make your decisions. Like you're, you're, you have your opponent, we're going to win or lose. Like now you have to make these appropriate decisions. So, right. but it's like when it kind of comes into different training and programming, like for sure, you have like some, some drills that you always like to go to. Like I know that at the, the conference and the, the state clinic that we went to, it's like you had a lot of partner stuff, but it was like, there are other stuff that you like you like would want to share just with people or just uh, talk about. Yeah, that's an interesting question, man, because like I said, I like kind of alluded to it earlier where I just had, I used to have a drill menu and now I don't, I don't have a drill menu anymore. Um, in an ideal world, everything I do is based off the sport that the athlete plays. Because yeah. um, like we kind of mentioned earlier, when uh, movements are taken out of context, the context in which they need to be performed under, and then in by the way, like I'm not, this is not going down to just play the sport rabbit hole. Like I, I don't believe in that either. But first and foremost, like I like to start, and you need to start your, your activities you do, the drills you do with what does the athlete need to do? Like what, what situations are they going to find themselves in? What decisions are they going to have to make? Um, and then what are kind of all the different ways that could happen? And um you know in a perfect world that would drive everything and it still does drive what we what we do and what i do with my athletes it's just not it's not um super individualized so while in football yes we have kind of the skill positions paired up together the semi-skill positions paired up together and the line paired up together the semis and the skills are roughly doing the same activity the skills just may um maybe doing it either longer distance or wider field things like that and then the linemen it's either very closed down like a like a phone booth like what they're going to be uh like more like what they're going to be dealing with or they're doing something different that's as far as i've gotten um but i mean this might be a good time to uh well, i don't know you want to try sharing the screen here this yeah go ahead feel free you could share the screen um because I think where I've gotten somewhat unique is how I teach movement. Okay, you see in my screen there? Yes, sir. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go back to my, this would have been a couple of years ago. Uh, and I'll preface this. So based on like, where the, where the research I read or the stuff I was reading of change of direction and agility being different skills, I just kind of started asking myself and saying, all right, if we're going to learn movement, we're going to learn it under a more of a, uh, a scenario and situation that's going to be challenging the perceptual cognitive ability of the athlete. Absolutely. So very early on, it was, okay, what is my 
movement syllabus, so to speak? Like what, what would I initially train in a very closed scenario or try to teach in a very isolated scenario? How do I make that uh, not isolated anymore? So we just started doing a lot more stuff in reaction to another person. This is football, okay? So that's, some, that's important to note. But if you're thinking, if, if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, but I work with kids. I work with um, a lot of different athletes in the same session, maybe over the private setting or high school. In, at the end of the day, like a lot of invasion, evasion sports are going to have a lot of similarities. Yep. Okay? So that's where I started. And so the video that you're going to see here is we were just working on a lateral shuffle. So you're just moving side to side without crossing your feet. And they were, this is day one of off-season off agility, okay? And all they're doing is reacting to a partner. And it's very controlled. You know, I'm, I'm instructing them not to, you know, at their own pace. They've got to feel like they're under control and they can control their body. But they're still learning it in a little bit of a different scenario than if uh, we're just doing it on air. They're getting the sense for how their feet need to be, where, how low do their hips need to be, things like that. And if we do go to something open after this or more chaotic after this, they're ready. They're more ready for that. Absolutely. Well, day one, this was all we did, but it eventually just became the warm up. Okay. So, uh, you know, also here we go. Crossover. Now, none of these, some of these aren't going to look real pretty, right? But they get better the more you do it. And this is like one video. <laughs> no, this is one video, okay? But, you know, we get a little bit, the base of sports maybe a little close here. There's not enough power in his cuts. Like, they're getting some decent angles, right? Because yep. there's reaction. There's a, there's a why to movement. You know, here we got a guy. He's, he got cut off balance a little bit. Well, next rep, he's going to have to make some adjustments and figure out, okay, how do I stay more balanced? How do I adjust and adapt what I'm doing based off the demands of that next rep? Absolutely. Okay. So that's just, you know, kind of where I went. Um, and then here's another example. So now I'm thinking, okay, well, those are just two movements. And they're only in the frontal plane. Yep. That's not sport. Okay. So we got to get guys doing something else. So this was what I just call a diagonal run to shuffle where we're getting um, 45 degree run, run transition into lateral type movement. And then one guy is just going to basically run 45 degrees, four or five ish yards and then move laterally. And then his partner um, the recommendation or the, the coaching cue is stay within two to two yards. Okay. Right. So they just work down the field. And again, I tell them under control. So I'm going to point, poor Sean, I'm going to point him out here. <laughs> He's a receiver, stumbles there. I like seeing that. Okay. I like seeing that. Yes, he's a receiver, but there will be times where he has to, like, blocking for him is a, I'm going to mirror you type movement. Yep. Like, if there's a, an interception, he all of a sudden becomes a defender. So I like exposing him, even though it's not his position, to this kind of stuff. And I'm not afraid to let them do that a little bit and then let them adjust over time. Absolutely. I, I love this, man. It's it's, it's yeah. one of those things that's, you know, I, I love partner reactive drills. I think it's fun. You know, it's it makes it makes coaching 
a little bit more involved. Um, definitely like your, your athletes, like whenever I've done it with like my clients, like they have fun, like they're smiling or oh, laughing, yeah. like yeah. it's competitive nature to it. And, and um, so I'll start there. Okay. And then I guess I go through these kind of a series of questions that just I'll ask myself, I kind of already hinted at it. What does the athlete need to do? Like, and I want to mean by that is like, if I can getting into like recommendations, like take homes here, if, if all you really do is just have a task, like have a something to like goal oriented task for them to complete. Yeah. Like that to me is like step one of the first steps to improving someone's agility. So whether that's maybe you do have a change of direction speed element where they know what they're going to do, but then maybe have an end with a decision to be made. You know what I mean? Um, then what are different like situations or decisions they could face? And then what are different ways they could do that? Um, so naturally, especially since football is one of my sports, naturally it ends up being a lot of 1v1 situations right, where um, the, it'll be kind of different versions of, I guess, I don't like tag, but sometimes two-hand touch uh, and things like that. Well, let's say we're just doing like me and you are across a 10 by 10 yard box. Well, yes, some, we might start that with me and you just like literally across from each other, head up. But then like, I just will change that. What if, what if you're over there and I'm over here and now I've got to decide, okay, can I beat them to the other side yep. or am I going to have to make a cut? And then next time, maybe we're a little bit closer quarters. So it's the same idea, it's the same concept, but how can you change it to mimic some situations they might find themselves in? Absolutely, you can well, even change the shape. Like the shape okay. could be one of those things. The size. And now we're getting into what's, we're, what, 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 you know, what are termed constraints, okay? You're changing the size of the space you're working with, which is going to promote or guide different types of movements. So if it's small, you're going, you're, the movement patterns you're going to use to try and solve that problem are going to be different than if you have a ton of space to work with. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, um, something like another recent one that I've been doing is like, what could be in their way? And this is a one that I kind of like, you know, in my head with football, I'm like, how have I, how have I never done this? Like putting stuff and obstacles in their way, whether that's something that's not moving or something that is moving. I like that. Um, you know, I can, I'll show you this one as well. Here, I'll, I'll share my screen again. Like, what do you put in the way? Just kind of like. Yeah, I'll show this one. Objects or. Um, that's really interesting. That's actually like a, a really brilliant thing to, to implement. So we just did this for the first time this past off season. And so what I mean is something like so. I'm sorry, I took this from my iPhone. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll preface this. So we've got ball carrier doesn't know where the defender's at. Defender, and or these guys are going to be obstructions, and the defender is outside the box. Gotcha. Goal here. This guy's just got to get across the box without being touched. And so on the start of the activity, obstructions are going to move. Offensive player has got to decide, okay, where are they, where are they moving to? What does that afford me to do? And then the defender also has to negotiate that as well. 
I can I think about that. this with football in particular. This happens all the stinking time. But it's controlled. Like it's un, it's it's a fairly controlled setting. Yeah. This kid, you know, makes it makes a good you know movement. Like that's you know, he's doing things based off of the fact that I he thinks he can beat this guy inside. Yeah. And he does. Uh, so then here's another example of the same type of drill or activity. These guys, uh, these guys, like they decide what they want to do. Okay. okay. He doesn't know what they're going to do. He doesn't know what they're going to do. And so as a, so this, as a linebacker, you have to negotiate this all the time. Like, where is he going to go? You have to look through a couple of people and now boom is, can you make that? So it could have been, he didn't make the decision fast enough or it could have been the motor problem. Yeah. It could have been a motor issue, right? And strength coaches, we're good at the motor issue, right? We're good at the, given the physical capacity. Yeah. I'll show one more here. Same type of thing. Guys move. Can I beat him? Boom. Nice. And like, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I can teach this kid what he does here. Like, I don't know what, you know, the move that he makes, I don't think I can teach that. Just right at the end there. A little cut. Yeah. And that's agility, man. I mean, that's, that's what I want my guys or my athletes to explore and, de and develop when we're doing agility. Absolutely. I um, love that. That is, well, that's, that that's really the, cool. Like, please understand listeners or whoever's watching this. That's at the end of our off season. Yep. Okay. We, we have definitely worked into that. I'll tell you what, I wish I would have gotten there sooner because you know what they're doing after this eight weeks, they're playing spring ball. Like I need to, you need to get them ready for that. So now they're doing that on a regular basis. Now they have to. So if we never got there, like I kind of ask myself, did I prepare them in the best way that I could? Okay. And so this also gets, you know, I, I do only have eight weeks to train most of my, most of my athletes, their off season is eight weeks Okay. in, in reality because they're in season for a full semester we get an eight week true off season and then all of them have non season practices. So they're going into spring ball. My soccer players have spring ball. If you're baseball, you have fall practice. They all have it. So it's a balance between making the most of my time and trying to prepare them. Yep. Okay. And I know that not everyone's going to like go there, but if you can ask, if you can ask yourself the questions that like I outlined earlier of what do they need to do? What decisions do they need to make? How, what are different scenarios they're going to find themselves in? And then manipulate things like the space they have to work with. A key factor in, the, in that one that I didn't show all the videos was time. Yeah. Like the, some guys danced. You, don't, you cannot dance in football. You cry, <laughs> exactly, you get crushed. So, you know, so I have some friends of mine like, like Michael Zwiefel, Sean Mishka, Tyler Yearby. You know what they've started doing those types of activities they have they have a guy following okay the second defender tailing now you can have them tailing right away or you could have them delay a little bit it just kind of depends on what you're going for so that's like another one time is huge yep. things you don't get much time in in sport now i understand like sometimes you're going for tissue prep if you want athletes to like perform things for longer periods of time i understand that but um just you know, you have to eventually kind of work them towards being able to make faster decisions. Yep. You know, we kind of mentioned earlier: can you change 
the way people enter things? Can you change the angles with which they're having to, to do things with? So if you are, if you do like, really want to stick with cone drills, every once in a while or, or, or on the regular, change angles. Yep. So don't always make the L drill a 90 degree cut. Change, change that up a little bit, change the distances. Even that little, even that's just a little thing the athletes gotta be like, okay, this is different. How am I going to adapt and adjust to this? Yep. Um, and then like, I started doing it with there, there with those, those uh, videos, like number of opponents yep. is another one you could manipulate. And again, like as for like football, that's actually really important and I wish I would have done it sooner. Um, I know that's a lot. Like, does that, does that make sense? I, no, I, it does. That's awesome. I love that last one that you just talked about. I think that's so cool. It's like, and I really love the fact that like you talked about, like it kind of goes into like the environment. I mean, there's some professionals that don't really believe in like, Oh, injury prevention, Oh, non-injury prevention. But like, I kind of see it in that injury prevention, like strategy in a way, just because you're preparing them for something that they're already going to be used to when they go into competition. That's so the hope. Yeah. It's like, if you literally just do that 90 degree, 90 degree, 90 degree, 90 degree. Okay. There's probably at least a thousand more different degrees that they're going to deal with in a competition. And if you don't prepare the body for it, the tissue is going to get overloaded. What happens to tissue when it gets overloaded? Boom. It snaps. Yeah. Right. So it's like, we're, we're making them adapt to that situation, make these decisions in something that might not necessarily be both optimal because i think a lot of coaches get carried away with optimal positions don't get me wrong i think when you are under load of having a weight in your hand or something like that practice good form yeah when it comes to agility and actually like running mechanics and all that like i think we need to kind of get out of that boundary of like putting them in different positions just because if you kind of look at a cut is a cut look like it's going to be the greatest squat whatsoever no it's like their foot's all the way over here their bodies <laughs> they kind of look like the heisman pose like in a way Right, exactly. We're making these adaptions or adaptations happen because of responses that are very quick. Right. And that's so critical. And I love that, man. Like that last one, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's something that like I think a lot of head coaches in football or like soccer or anything like that probably do something like that, but they actually don't even really know that they're working on agility when they do that. <laughs> right, yeah. And you actually hit on, I guess, I'll, I'll just say, like kind of, maybe go into this a little bit too. Like you kind of hit on why some people really hesitant to do stuff like this. Like I, I do understand that people will say that's too much like sport. That's too much like actually the actual sport. So we're not sport coaches, we're strength coaches or physical prep coaches. We need to worry about the physical side. And I agree with that, but I guess my lens for how someone learns to move has kind of developed and changed over the years. Absolutely. And if you're not, if, if again, going back to the difference in skill between change of direction, speed, activities, and agility, then if you're not at least respecting and, and accounting for the perceptual cognitive aspects of it, um, I don't know. I, I just think you're leaving something on the table for, for preparing your athletes. Um, but that's just kind of where I'm at. I, I am, and uh, I would suggest anyone to to wade in uh, as far as like if you want to implement this kind of stuff, like don't wholesale change because then yeah, you, that probably is a too much of a swing to the other side. Yep. Um, like if you know anyone who wants these videos, by the way, all these videos are on YouTube. Yep. So I can send Dane. I can send you this. 
Um, they're all open. They're all free to the public. And almost everything I've done. 50 cents per video that you have to watch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, almost everything I've done is on there. Almost, I say, like it's not everything, it's not every rep of everything, but you you get a good sense for the types of things that I do. And it definitely progressed from like the first off season I implemented this stuff. It was literally all I did was I took my menu of cone drills and I changed distances, I changed angles, and that's all I did. That's literally the first thing that I did. And and I really have to credit, you know, um, Sean Mishka for, for starting me down this path because um, he, uh, you know, he was so willing to give up, give his time to me. He, he didn't know me at all. I just emailed him one day and I said, can I come up and, and talk to you for an hour? And we talked for four. <laughs> and, um, so anyway, that's, that was kind of his recommendation to me initially. And that just like snowballed down the path that I went with this. Um, so if anyone's like listening to this or watching it, like they want more, it's all on YouTube. If you just search my name, Corey Van Wyke, you'll hopefully find me. They're all, all there. I think I have over a hundred of them, a hundred videos in total. Nice. Um, I tried to put them in chronological order. So what you see at the very beginning is would be like week one. And then it progresses through to about seven or eight weeks. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I saw the W1, W2. Exactly. And yeah. And I don't like everything that I did. Like I look back, I'm kind of, like, uh, I don't know if I like that. Well, that's okay. Like that's okay. Um, not everything, not everything works out, but that's also a sport too. And I tell, I do tell my athletes that I'm like, you're not gonna be, you're you're gonna be at a disadvantage sometimes. It's not always, you're not gonna know what to do all the time. You're, you're gonna be put into situations where you have to deal with it, adapt, and make decisions, and. Uh, and that just is what's going to happen on the field too. I mean, that's where honestly, it's like, you know, those situations when it comes into those sporting environments, you know, when you don't know what to do, you're hoping that you have your teams to back you up. Like, yeah. That's like the biggest thing. You're, it's a team sport, you know, a lot of those things. And, you know, if we don't have a good team behind you, that's going to help basically make you look good. Like that's what you're hoping for. It's like, yeah, you might mess up. Coach might have not have saw it, but. I mean, that's fine. It's like, at least you basically took the ownership, like, ah, I messed up there. Like, what can I do to basically practice this in the future and everything? But dude, you that's a great word. That's a, that, that's a great word because yeah, at the end, at the end of the day, I do want my athletes to be able to adapt and adjust on their own without the direction of a coach. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I don't coach. It doesn't mean I don't say anything to them. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like, I just kind of let them run and frolic about, <laughs> but um, there are times when I don't say anything and, and, and um, they know that. And this, I just, I just set the stage. I set the expectation the first, the first week and I remind them of it. Like, Hey guys or gals, just cause I don't, I don't say anything. Doesn't mean I'm not coaching you. Doesn't mean I'm not paying attention, but um, this is about you taking becoming an, you know, uh, taking ownership of of your performance just yeah. like you would ha- will have to on game day yeah um so that's just an aspect of training that you know we train agility that's an aspect of it that i see yeah absolutely i loved everything they talked about man i mean there's so much to agility that i think a lot of people don't understand and you know that's fine i mean you know reach yeah, out to and there's a lot i don't understand like i'm i'm fully willing to admit that um yeah. but that's just kind of where I'm at currently with how, how I'm, how I'm doing things, how, how I'm practicing. 
that aspect of their training. Absolutely. It's, it's awesome. I mean, if anyone does have questions, feel free to reach out to us. I will put you in contact with Corey. Um, you know, there, there's a lot out there. You know, a lot of the things, you know, it's building networks and building relationship with other professionals and, and seeking information that you don't necessarily understand or that you've never heard of before. And, you know, I, this was a great episode. I loved this one, you know, talking about something that I don't necessarily know too much about. And agility is something now that after this episode, I have, a, I have actually a, a pretty good base of now understanding like, okay, like think about like different shapes that I can utilize, different distances. Okay, you really have to think about different positions and everything within each sport. And that's, that's huge. Um, that's and I cool. love that, man. Thank you so much for being on this uh, Train Smart episode talking about agility for sports performance. Um, again, this was a, a great episode. All right. Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks again for having me on. And if anyone wants to, you know, kind of follow me or look me up, you know, Corey Van Wyk on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all the same. Um, you know, reach out to me on those, on those things. And, and uh, I'd love to chat and talk further with anybody who wants. And then again, all that's on YouTube as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a good night. All right, man. You too. Bye.